Proverbs chapter 22 this morning. Uh, boys and girls, I, I'd, I'd love to hang out with you after the service for just a pastor Q&A time. Um, so we're going to meet in the blue room where the nursery normally is. Uh, I'll meet you in there just a few minutes after service. I have a a stack of books that I'd love to, to give away. As you know, I love to fill your house with books. Um, so please come hang out with me. Bring any questions you might have. Uh, even if you don't have any questions, I'll put some books in your hands. So love to spend time with you after service. Uh, we're in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, we are grateful for the truth of your word, and uh, we pray that you would implant your word deeply into our hearts now so that uh, we would be changed and transformed by it and that it would bring about the fruit of a joyful, um, humane, uh, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting community here at Veritas. Uh, as we seek to be an echo of Eden and a foretaste of the new Jerusalem in our city. May our homes be such, may our church be such, may our lives be such, so that you might receive much glory through the preaching of your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, John G. Payton was a Scottish missionary to the New Hebrides Islands in the 1800s. Uh, some time ago, I read a, a, a brief biography about him, and it described something of the, the godly home that Peyton grew up in, the godly parents who raised him. Uh, that biographer wrote that Patton's working-class father was filled to the brim with masculine instruction and tender oversight. It says he invested deeply in the lives of his children. He didn't shrink back from physical affection or from weeping in their presence. He cared for his children. He guided his children and instructed them and fathered them with affection and warmth. And there's one scene from Peyton's life in particular that shows just this. It was when John was, quote, launched into the ocean of life to attend seminary. And for the, the first six miles of his journey from home, his father walked with him, and, and that in almost constant tears and unbroken silence as they walked, his father wept beside him. He advised him and counseled him. And when the time came for, for them to part, Peyton himself records that his father gripped him in a tight hug and said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Then after embracing, Peyton ran off and ascended a hill to watch his father begin his return journey in the opposite direction. Peyton himself would write later, I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze. And then hastening on my way, I vowed deeply and oft by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father or mother as God had given me. The appearance of my father when we parted, his advice, prayers, tears, the road, the dike, the climbing upon it, and then walking away head uncovered have often, often, all through my life, risen vividly before my mind and do so now while I'm writing as if it had only been an hour ago. 
a godly example of Peyton's father, so formative that even writing years later as an aged man, he couldn't forget his longing to follow Jesus and hate sin because this is what his father had desired for him. He, he goes on to write, in my earlier years in particular, when exposed to many temptations, my father's parting form rose before me as that of a guardian angel. It is no Pharisaism, but deep gratitude, which makes me here testify that the memory of that scene not only helped by God's grace to keep me pure from the prevailing sins, but also stimulated me in all my studies that I might not fall short of my father's hopes and in all my Christian duties that I might faithfully follow his shining example. Well, I think I would not be assuming too much if I were to say that every Christian parent in this room longs for their children to give something of a similar testimony someday. Of course, I'm sure all the details might differ, but undoubtedly anyone who has found Jesus to be the most precious treasure of their souls and who has also known one of these, these greatest of earthly treasures in this child-parent relationship, you so long for your children to know and trust in and love the Lord Jesus just as you have. Boys and girls, that's what your parents want. That's what I want. That's what this church wants for you. Parents, that's what we want to help and equip you to do. And even more, that's what God wants to equip and help you to do. And we know that because we find here in the book of Proverbs commendation and help to do just that. So let's stand now and read Holy Scripture. If you'd like to stand with me for the reading of God's Holy and precious word, and we're looking at Proverbs 22, verse 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. By way of reminder, we've concluded our time in Proverbs chapters 1 through 9, where we sequentially worked our way through the kind of introduction of this book. And we've now come to the, the, the body of Proverbs, where we're exploring this, this book more thematically, where we're looking at what Proverbs has to say about particular themes. Two Sundays ago, we saw what Proverbs has to say about our words Last Sunday, we looked at what Proverbs had to say about marriage. Next week, we're looking at what Proverbs has to say about anger. Uh, the following Sunday after that, we're looking at what Proverbs has to say about work. But this morning, we're looking at what Proverbs has to say about this parent-child relationship. And we've, we've come again to a verse containing what we've, we've seen are called parallelisms. Uh, we've discussed how parallelisms are very common in Proverbs and, and about how there's three main kinds. Parallelisms are one sentence, two lines that, that um, are, are uh, an important little literary device in Proverbs. We've seen that there are synonymous parallelisms where the one sentence has two lines that repeat the same idea just in different words. There are antithetical parallelisms where the two lines states kind of contrasting ways of living and being human, often contrasting folly and wisdom. And there's synthetic or growing parallelisms, wherein the second line will add to or complete the idea stated in the first line. And so our, our synthetic parallelism this morning 
begins with one line calling parents to train up a child in the way that he should go. That's the first line. And then the second line, in the second line, we see the ordinary and valuable outcome of such child rearing. It says, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So this is our, our home text this morning, even while we will visit other Proverbs throughout the sermon. Uh, and so I want to briefly explain our verse this morning, then provide eight applications, or possibly nine applications if we have enough time, uh, from this proverb. To begin with, though, let's, let's take a close look at our proverb. We, we read it in light of the overall context of this book, uh, the main point of which is that we're being called to a life of fearing God and walking in His ways. And we see here that to fear God and walk in His ways in parenting means to do precisely what Solomon himself has been seeking to do throughout these chapters. And uh, we've been seeking to, he's been seeking to train, to guide, to instruct his children, and he beckons us now to do the same. He, it, it calls parents to train up their children. Now, the, the Hebrew verb translated as train up is an interesting one, okay? Th this is a good and right translation of the word, but the word does have a bit more to its meaning, as it also means to, to dedicate or consecrate something. Uh, so this word is only used four times in the Bible, and the three other times it's used are in Deuteronomy 20, verse 5, where it speaks of dedicating a family's newly built house, and then also in 1 Kings 8, 63, and 2 Chronicles 7, 5, where it speaks of the dedication of Solomon's temple. Uh, perhaps, you know, you've been to something of like a building dedication ceremony for a newly built church building or a hospital or an office building for a business or, or something like that, this Hebrew word would be used to describe such events or acts. And with that, you can see how this will call parents to consciously commit their children for a certain purpose, an end. This is how at a building dedication, we might set aside a building for a specific purpose and end. So we're to do with our children. And here's what that purpose and end is. We're to set them apart for the way that they should go. You're, we're to dedicate, commit, consecrate our children for the way. And of course, that just begs the question, what is the way? What is the way that they should go? Well, we've seen that answer. We've been walking throughout Proverbs here. The way that they should go is this way called Wisdom. What is the way of wisdom? It's the way of living in right relationship with everything in life that begins with having a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what the way of wisdom is. It's, it's, it's living in right relationship with everything in life, with work, with money, with sex, with parenting, with, with sibling relationships, with finances, with everything. And it begins as we come into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ where we come into a relationship with him, where, where we fear him and trust him and place ourselves under his safe guidance and care. It's a relationship that begins with reconciliation to God through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. It's a relationship where he is the son of your solar system, and as a result of the gravitational pull, everything else in life begins to be put back into its proper place. That is a life of wisdom, and that's the way children are to be dedicated toward. But then dedicating your children also includes training them, right? I, I, I know that 
Some people have an aversion to speech like training children. Uh, you often hear people disparage indoctrinating children. But, but here's the thing. Children are going to be indoctrinated. Children are going to be trained. Or if, and, and, and this should be by the parents who, have been, who the child has been given to. Uh, if parents fail to do so, children will still be trained and indoctrinated. It'll just be by like TikTok or Disney or something else that you don't want them to be trained by. You, you want your children to be trained by you. God has called parents to train children, to teach them and instruct them and guide them and counsel them to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6.4. So here's your call, parents. You want to live life in your household with your children in such a way that there is increasing clarity concerning who God is and what the gospel is and what he requires of us as his creatures. By the end of your child's time in your home, there should be no confusion about what it means to be a Christian. What, what we believe, how we ought to live, that ought to be clear. Whether they reject it or receive it, that much ought to be clear. In, in other words, your household ought to be a Deuteronomy 6 kind of household. Remember the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, where God's people are given a, a clear creed and conduct, wherein God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, the word of God ought to be consistently on your lips and in the ears of your children. Your task to train them, to teach them, to instruct them. You've been called to guide them according to the word of God. That's what this verse calls us to. In the second line, the second line offers us encouragement in our efforts to do precisely that. Because listen, parenting is really hard. You, you know that. It's exhausting. It's very difficult. I, I remember when we were first planting the church, and we only had two young children at the time. And, and people and supporters would, would uh, often you know, make comments to me whenever I'd see them about, how hard church planting is and, and how everything was going. And I would always think and sometimes say, church planting is easy compared to parenting. If you're going to pray for me, pray for my parenting first. If you're only going to pray one thing for me, pray for my parenting. I need the most help in that area, more so than, than church planting. Parenting is hard. We need encouragement. And so here's the encouragement for parents who are seeking to train up their children in the way that they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's supposed to be encouragement. That's supposed to be jet fuel for godly parenting. When you're, you're supposed to remember this. When you're exhausted and you don't know if you have the energy to read your Bible and pray with your, your family after dinner, you're, you're to remember this. When you feel like you're correcting the same sinful action for the 57th time that day and you just don't know if you have it in you to do it one more time, remember this. 
When you're on the verge of losing your cool and yelling and scolding just to get your child's behavior modified in that moment, remember this. When you've sinned against your child and, and, and you've not done right by them and, and it, this hurts, you've got to humble yourself and come before them, humble yourself before them and ask for their forgiveness. When you have the opportunity to set an example of repentance and humility for your children, remember this, if you train up a child in the way that he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's supposed to be encouragement to them. I know that some of us are thinking right now, yeah, you're saying this. I can think of some exceptions to this proverb. Right? I can think of family members, friends, co-workers, people are coming to mind right now whose parents did indeed train them up in the way that they should go, but they're not currently walking the path. They're not walking with Christ. They're walking a path of folly or, and, and, or wickedness, and it's heartbreaking, and, and that does indeed happen. So per- perhaps we should just make this abundantly clear. This proverb should not be taken as a formula right? A plus B equals C. Some people treat this as a formula. If you train up a child in the way that he should go, it always equals, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I know some people reason that if a Christian's parent, or that a Christian parent's child is not walking with Christ, well, they must not have been brought up in the way that they should go. And, And perhaps sometimes there's even truth in that. But, but remember what kind of literature we're reading here this is a proverb, not a cast iron promise, right? This is not a guarantee. It's not a formula. Rather, it's a general principle that is usually true even while it has some exceptions. There will be times where godly parents faithfully train up their children for godliness, and yet they do depart. That happens. And so perhaps we should say to children right now, boys and girls, I want you to realize something this morning. Your parents and this church can, could do, you know, just in a perfect world, we could do everything right. We won't, but we could do everything right, could do everything that we ought to do to train you up in the way that we should go, but in the end, you must decide to walk that way for yourself. This proverb, in addition to calling your parents to train you up, also calls you to a decision. Realize, your, your par- the faith of your parents does not automatically pass on to you. You must place your trust in and follow Jesus for yourself. You yourself must see and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he took your sins to the grave and rose three days later so that all who put their faith and trust in him alone will be set free from the penalty and power of sin. You must believe and place all your hope in that message yourself. You're not a Christian simply because your parents are Christians. Simply being born into a Christian family does not make you a Christian. You must be born again. You must trust in Jesus. You must begin to walk in the way yourself. And so I I beg you, be trained up by your parents in the way that you should go. Listen to their instruction. Submit to their wise guidance and to the guidance of other faithful members of this church. Choose the way of the Lord and don't depart from it. And for parents, 
I don't want you to miss out on encouragement here just because exceptions to this proverb are coming to mind for you. Just because there are indeed elements outside of your control here. Don't miss this encouragement here because of the exceptions. Don't underestimate the power of a parent's influence simply because of the exceptions. Don't give up in light of the exceptions and say, well, I guess no matter what I do, it doesn't make that much difference. It's all up to the sovereignty of God. It's up to the you know, decision of my child. I'll just leave it at that. No, listen. God uses instruments. He uses means to accomplish his ends. And parents, you are some of the most important instruments in the universe for shaping and forming disciples of Jesus Christ. Parents, listen. You matter. You, you matter. You're important. You, you really matter. You are probably the greatest earthly influence your child will ever have. There is, there is not a more formative relationship your child will ever have when it comes to setting the larger trajectory of their lives than you. You matter. And this has been shown again and again. There's a study conducted back in 2000 in Switzerland that, that shows the, the lasting importance of the role of fathers and the faith of their children. The study showed that if if fathers were involved in their local church, 33% of the time their children will be regular churchgoers too, and 41% of the time their children will be at least irregular churchgoers. But on the other hand, if fathers do not, are not involved in church, that number goes down to just 2%. Dads, your, your, your role as the spiritual leader of your home is crucial for mothers, 2021 Pew Research study showed that that 77% of adults say that their mom is one of the most influential people in their life when it comes to their faith. It's often been said that moms are the most effective evangelists in the world. In fact, I'd be willing to I'd be willing to bet that if we were to take a vote or, or a tally regarding who we were all led to the Lord by here this morning, it'd probably for most of us be our moms. Dads, moms, your, your, your influence, you are important, you matter. You have the power to shape and form your children in ways that no one else does. I should also speak this morning to those of us who aren't parents in the room. You should know that you matter for the sake of these children in, in our midst too. For those who are not parents... Let me just kind of speak out of both sides of my mouth for a minute and say that you are parents. You're father figures and mother figures to the children present here this morning. Ray Ortland once said that Hillary Clinton has famously claimed that it takes a village to raise a child, but I say it takes a church to raise a child. And that's true. Um, Lifeway Research did the, the Nothing Less study in 2017 and found that one of the key components for a child becoming a healthy spiritual adult is that they felt connected to several adults in church growing up who cared for them and took interest in them and in some way mentored them in the faith. So that, some of you probably have no idea how much the kids in this church look up to you. There are several adults in this church who, who don't have kids of their own, but who my kids absolutely adore and look up to and need. Listen, you, 
even if you don't have kids of your own, you play a crucial role in training up the children in this very room right now. And, and the way that they should go, we, we need you for that. The children of this church need you. Parents need you. We've all been called and commissioned together to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And the children in this room are those God has providentially placed in our care to do just that. And it takes a church to do it. So how can we do this? How can we partner in this kind of ministry together to train up these children? We'll do eight pieces of application for the sake of time rather than nine. Save us a few minutes there. First is proclamation. Proclamation. We briefly address the, the need and the call to have the word of God consistently on our lips and in our children's ears. And we should. We should read the Bible with our children. We should bring them to church and catechism class and backyard Bible club. When correcting them, we should use the Bible, use it as a Bible opportunity. When we're driving or walking or laying down or eating or whatever we're doing, we ought to redeem the time and find ways to speak the word of truth into the ears of our children. But even more than that, we ought to make sure to communicate what is central in the Bible. You can teach the Bible to children in a way that is moralistic or legalistic or pharisaical, right? And so don't just talk to your children about the Bible, but speak to them about the Bible in the way that the Bible would have you speak to them in a way that emphasizes what the Bible itself emphasizes. Speak to them to, about what is central and fundamental and paramount in the Bible. In other words, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to your children, Right In John 5, 39 and 40, Jesus tells the crowd, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. In other words, the Bible is principally about Jesus and his saving work to give us eternal life, and it was given so that we might come to him and have this life. And so we should teach the Bible as such. We're not interested in, in raising self-sufficient moralists, right? There will be plenty of nice, moral, conservative people in hell. The way that he should go is not a dull, vanilla, godless moralism. No, we want our children to be moral, of course, but more than that, we want to raise children who know the thrill and skill of living in right relationship with everything in life, beginning by having a right relationship with God. And the only way to have a right relationship with God is through the all-sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ, and His saving work in the cross and empty tomb. Make that message central and fundamental and paramount in your home and in this church, because that alone will train children up in the way that they should go. Proclamation. Next is portrayal. Portrayal. Our children need to see the Christian life portrayed. They need to see lives that adorn the gospel we proclaim with our lips. They need to see godly examples of what it looks like to live the Christian life. They need to see Christians who are humane and humble and glad and generous. They need to see Christians who are repentant and encouraging and approachable. They need to see Christians who are forgiving and who don't take themselves too seriously. 
They need to see this because they need to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not an empty word, but a powerful word that takes sinners and lovers of self and transforms them into patient, gentle, kind lovers of God and others. And to live life in any other way while we're seeking to train up our children, it'll just reek of dishonesty and hypocrisy. To train up children and the way that they should go, we must first go that way ourselves. And if we do, it will reinforce and often speak even louder than our instructing words. It will adorn the way we're training them to go in. Portrayal. Next, our children need positivity. Positivity. Sometimes we can read texts like this and think that what it's calling us to do is to just go around forbidding our children from doing things, right? To, to constantly correct and chastise and scold and chide, to say over and over again every day, don't do this. Stop doing that. You shall not. Don't do that. Do you ever feel like you just say that too much? I do. I know how easy it is to fall into parenting that way. When you think about this proverb and the positive statement made within, train him in the way that he should go, not in the way that he shouldn't go. Show him what is good and right and true and beautiful. Show him the path that he should walk on, not just the paths he shouldn't walk on. It's confusing when all you're told is what not to do and never to be given a positive vision for what to do instead. So when correcting a child's behavior, perhaps perhaps you could just give them the alternative way of handling whatever situation they were in. Perhaps you could even role play. When, when warning them against sinful ways of living... Also speak to them about the blessing of living according to God's wisdom and ways. Show him the way to go. Don't just tell him the way he shouldn't go. And, and here's a crucial bit to this, which brings us to our next point. Praise them. Praise your children when they do well. Like all of us, children thrive on praise. Like all of us, they, they soak it up like a sponge. Being praised and affirmed and encouraged, it puts wind in your sails. It puts breath in your lungs. And the same is true of your children. So, so praise your children. Try to catch them doing right. When you see them walking in the way that they should go, take notice. Take notice when they do things that are honorable and admirable. And then respond by giving God-glorifying glor affirmation and praise to your children. I remember a few years ago, Amy and I felt just exasperated with how much we were correcting and disciplining in our parenting. And, and correction and, and discipline, it's a necessary part of parenting. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it just seemed like we were doing it over and over. And so we tried something. We, we resolve to be more intentional about encouraging our children and praising them when they did well. And listen, I, I'm not offering this as like a silver bullet to, to parenting. There's no such thing. There's nothing that's going to make it easy or automatically successful. 
but it still made a world of difference in our home, both in us and in our children. Praising your children will often encourage you and help you to better see the ways in which God is at work in their lives, and more, it will encourage them to walk in the way that you're trying to train them to go in. So praise your children. Next, though, in addition to praise, children need penalties. A healthy, loving household means putting boundaries in place. Training up children means having some rules, and it it also means enforcing those rules with discipline, with penalties when those boundaries are transgressed, right? Charles Spurgeon once said that if we never have headaches through rebuking our children, we shall have plenty of heartaches when they grow up. We've got to discipline our kids. And Proverbs speaks to this a lot. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Right? Correction, rebuke, discipline is a crucial aspect of training up our children in the way that they should go. Proverbs twenty two fifteen shows that without it, they will inevitably actually go down the path of foolishness and wickedness instead. That's just the natural path that we go on as human beings. We don't naturally go in the way that we should go. We naturally go in the way that we shouldn't go. And so we need to be trained, and part of training is discipline. I know that discipline is not a a pleasant part of parenting. Probably most of the time, parents neglect to discipline their children. It's because they, want to, they don't want to cause their children pain or sorrow, which is understandable, but also extremely misguided. Proverbs 13.4 tells us that whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. You see, although unpleasant and all, although in some ways it might even seem counterintuitive, It is actually loving to discipline our children because even though it causes short-term pain, it will benefit them in the long run. The author of Hebrews speaks to this very reality in our relationship with God as our Father. He writes in Hebrews 12, 6, that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He goes on, we've all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we, we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, patient, calm, self-controlled discipline is a crucial way we ought to faithfully represent our Heavenly Father to our children. It is an essential part of training our children in the way that they should go, boys and girls. I know that discipline is unpleasant. And sometimes you might be tempted to think that your parents don't love you when they're disciplining you, but understand this, when your parents discipline you rightly, it's actually a sign and proof of their love for you. The parents don't don't buy into this lie that discipline and correction is unloving. 
That love is all affirmation and never correction. That love is all tolerance and never reproof. That love is all approval and never discipline. Discipline and penalties for sin is painful for the moment. But it is loving because it later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It is loving. It's essential for training up our children in the way that they should go. Next is prayer. As we considered earlier, we know that training up a child in the way that he should go is is not a guarantee that he'll actually go in that way. And while we as parents and as a church have obviously important roles and influence to play in our children's lives and the lives of these young ones, the fact of the matter is is that we actually have no control over whether or not they walk in the way that they should go. And so while while we take this proverb to heart and accept our God-given responsibility in this matter, in the end, we must rest in and rely on the sovereign grace of God to rescue our children from folly. Again, Spurgeon once said, it is not your instruction that can save the souls of your children. It is the blessing of God, the Holy Spirit, accompanying your labors. And so one essential thing we must do is pray. Praying and pleading and crying out to God on behalf of these little ones. That they would be rescued from sin and Satan. That they would be protected from the world and the flesh and the devil. That they would be adopted into the household of God. That that having been born into our families, they would be born again into God's. In our training, we want to live in such a way in our training that we are putting kindling around their hearts. But then we want to pray and ask God to send down fire to set their hearts ablaze with the knowledge and passion for the glory of God. And so we pray, we pray. Don't only pray, but be patient. Patience is needed. Notice how this proverb takes the long view when he is old, right? When he is old, much of the time, our efforts in training won't produce immediate fruit. Training up children is more like getting food from a garden than it is from Chick-fil-A, right? Training up children is not like a drive-through. It's, it's a garden needs tending and time. It's not immediately fruitful, and likewise, so is training up our children. We teach and correct and pray, and sometimes we do so for a very long time, much longer than we'd like. Listen, I'm the fruit of patient prayers and instruction and training. I grew up in a loving home, a godly home, with parents who prayed and prayed and prayed, and I didn't trust the Lord until adulthood. Some of you parents whose kids are grown and here, your kids are not following Jesus. Others of you have young ones, but you'll be in the same boat one day, maybe. Listen, take the long view. Play the long game. Don't grow impatient and pushy. Don't parent in an overbearing, controlling way to try to manufacture something and make something happen. Just patiently tend to the hearts of your children. Tend to your relationship with them. 
Help them understand how much you treasure them and how much you consider it to be a privilege to be their parent. Engage thoughtfully with their questions and views and perspectives from a Christian point of view. Gently seek to persuade them, pray for them, and be patient. Even when he is old. And lastly, place. Place your trust in the God who has called you and appointed you to train up these children. Because undoubtedly, there are going to be times where you feel like a failure. There are going to be times where you have indeed failed, where you've fallen short of what you've been called to, where you've fallen short of God's glory. Place your trust in the Christ who gave himself on the cross so that all of our sins might be forgiven and all of our guilt taken away. There are going to be times where in training children, when you feel so little hope, so little confidence that your efforts are going to bear any fruit, where the fact that your children are dead in their trespasses and sins seems like an insurmountable problem. Just remember this, Jesus is alive. And while Jesus lives, there's always hope. Your labor is not in vain. Trust in the power of his resurrection to overcome any depravity. There are going to be times when you feel lost, confused, perplexed, unsure of what to do. But remember this, the Son of God came here to share his sonship with you. So that now you have a Father in heaven who cares for you, who is looking out for you, who is guiding you, who has given you his word as your fatherly instruction, who has given you the spirit of his son to empower you. He has given you his people to walk alongside you as siblings. You're not alone. The promises of God are true. Place your faith and trust in him and rest. There are going to be times when you feel so unsure about what's going to come, what's going to happen with your children, what's going to become of them. There are going to be times where you have sleepless nights of worry, where you're desperate and longing for the redemption and rescue of your children. Place your trust in the God who loves your child far more than you ever could. Place your trust in the God who is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Place your trust in the God who is far more capable of writing a far better story with your life and the life of your children in our midst. Place your trust in the God who is so committed to these things that he gave his son for us that they might be sure. Train these children up in the way that they should go. Proclaim the gospel to them. Portray the way that they ought to go and give them a positive vision, praise them, give them appropriate penalties and discipline, pray for them, be patient, and in all things place your faith and trust in the God who is sovereign over all and working all things together for your good. Let's pray together. Father, seal this word upon our hearts as we come to the table Pray that you would comfort us and assure us now of the truth of who Christ is for us and who you now are for us in him. Help us to see that you are our heavenly father, that you're training us, that you're guiding us, that you're helping us, that you're counseling us. 
and help us to submit to and walk in your fatherly counsel and care. Strengthen us through this meal to that end that we might go out into the world and faithfully represent you to all that we come in contact with, including these young ones in our midst, so that they might be trained up in the way that they should go, and so that even when they're old, they won't depart from it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.